Welcome to the Technology Education Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Today we're joined by Elliot Levine, Distinguished Technologist and Director of Education for HP. He sits down with us to talk about how VR and other future technology can revolutionize the way educators approach a classroom. How you doing, Elliot? Very good, Elmer. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, of course. So uh, let's just start at the ground level and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at HP and, and kind of what your day-to-day looks like. Well, I think I kind of have one of the coolest jobs, not just at HP, but in education. So the official title is Distinguished Technologist, Director of Education. I get to spend a lot of my time working with schools and universities to really address their education technology initiatives, whether they're around STEM, virtual reality, one-to-one computing, and really help them strategize a plan that's really going to deliver meaningful educational outcomes. And then on the flip side, inside of HP, I get to kind of work with some really brilliant people, far more intelligent than me, as far as developing new solutions and products to help in the education arena. Cool. So then how did you get involved in like this niche industry? Yeah, well, it was 25 years ago, I hate to admit, but I started <laughs> uh, quite a long time ago as a, uh, a school administrator uh, in a district here in New York. And was doing uh, all things. I was kind of the jack of all trades. And a few years into it, we started our own internet service provider. And the uh, the new superintendent asked me to write a technology plan. And I must have had a deer in headlights look, but somehow managed to try to figure out how it was we were going to change and transform technology in that school system. And it kind of just, you know, set a little spark off inside of me. And over the years, no matter where I go, what I do, it I always seem to come back right to this particular area. And whether I've been working in schools, working in universities, working in startups, turnarounds, uh, and then for the last 10 years, I've been at HP uh, in varying roles, starting in K-12 education and kind of expanding into my current position for the last few years. Cool, cool. So, I mean, you you said you said it right now. You think you have one of the coolest jobs. Well, why, why do you say that? What, what about it, especially in the last 10 years at HP? What about your work there has inspired you to just keep going and and building upon it? You know, a lot of times you build products in a vacuum and you just hope people are going to buy them. And for a lot of people, that's their focus. And HP is given not just me, but really the directive of our team that focuses on education, build products that create meaningful results. And the best meaningful result we can have is for children. And if our technology gets used in very positive ways, Students are improving their language arts skills, their math skills. They're exploring new areas in the arts and sciences. Then we're achieving our mission. And, you know, a lot of the conversations we have with districts are around how do we go from just buying technology to really seeing meaningful results from that technology? And I can't tell you, it, it, not every time that discussion goes very well. There's a lot of school systems that still unfortunately you know, invest in technology for the wrong reasons. And we try to get them to focus on really the most compelling. Even when we talk about some of the latest and greatest technology out there, unless there's sound, you know, technology, curriculum, professional development, and a meaningful way to assess the results, then we're really not delivering the best overall product. And when we get to find school systems and administrators that really believe in this, the proof is in the kids themselves. When you visit a district or a university and you see the passion in the young people, it just completely 
gets you reinvigorated to continue doing this job. Right. And you mentioned right now that some schools tend to invest in technology for the wrong reasons. What what are those reasons and what would be the right reasons? Well, some of the wrong reasons, they, they say, look, you know, we need to do digital testing. So we need more devices. Um, our students need to be digitally literate by a certain grade level. So when they take the tests, they do better. You know, that's unfortunately, that can be some short sighted thinking. But when we get to school systems, and this is becoming more the norm lately, which makes me feel good. But we have districts not just talking about social equity and, you know, access, but really how do we create meaningful experiences for every child? And how do we make sure that uh, economic issues, language issues are no longer a barrier that, you know, children are able to excel in each and every one of their areas of study? That to me gets me incredibly excited. And that's the conversation we try to flip on a regular basis. Cool. So let's jump into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about today. And that is VR in the classroom as a learning tool. So I don't know. How do you want to approach this? Well, you know, it's come a long way in the last decade. You know, if you go back to some of the earliest VR tools that were being used in schools, it was actually Erasma that started over in Europe. And Erasmus right. still today, it's now an HP product. Uh, Erasmus would work on your smartphone. Uh, a teacher could take a bulletin board and let's say a, a photo of, of Benjamin Franklin. And when you go over it with a smartphone and the Erasmus app, that visual picture of Benjamin Franklin would trigger a video or an animation that the teacher associated with it. So suddenly you started having interactive bulletin boards. We've seen school systems create yearbooks that completely come to life on devices to see the band marching, to see the school play, uh, to see the football team score a winning touchdown, to see the valedictorian deliver a speech. Really, you know, innovative experiences. And what's unique about it is it's kind of evolved over time. Smartphones were all the rage five, six years ago. They've kind of given way to this new, newer generation of desktop-based VR. And people have seen this with a number of products. ZSpace, for example, phenomenal uh, company that's been doing very well in this area. Uh, HP actually was manufacturing some of the uh, desktop displays for them. In that environment, the 3D image is generated on the display, and the student or teachers are wearing 3D glasses. And they're able to interact in much more detail than they could on smartphone-type devices. And one of the key things is about the refresh rates and graphics, because anybody who's ever tried VR, you know, if you're not getting a refresh rate of at least seven, uh, 90 frames per minute, then you're probably going to get dizzy, maybe even a little bit nauseous. So that right. new generation of VR technology has been really effective. Students are mastering concepts of anatomy, physiology, chemistry, electrical engineering, just to name a few, in a much quicker time period. Now what's coming is, you know, really wearable VR technology like, you know, HP's ZVR backpack. And what's coming after that? Well, that's even more to be discussed. Right. So what do you think is like a, a, the, one of the best examples you've seen right now of, of VR being used in a classroom? Well, what has been so successful for the last few years are solutions like ZSpace, where mm. they've created, you know, a, let's say a middle school STEM lab. And they're using it mostly for anatomy, physiology, biology, and some of the other uh, core STEM subjects. It's been so successful 
students have been so effectively, you know, mastering concepts quicker that now those same districts are introducing this technology into their high schools. Now we're seeing at the university levels, community colleges, schools of nursing, intro science courses, those departments are now reaching out because in essence, the students have been using this technology for the last handful of years, have what I almost call a tech expectation. They come to the table saying, this is how I now learn. This is the default standard for me. Don't try to put me back into a lecture-based environment to read from a textbook or even a digital textbook. What we need is more experiential learning like this. Now, where that's really even today being turned on its head is now more of the wearable VR technology. Tools like that ZVR backpack? Well, first off, I can now freely roam. Now, anybody who's ever done VR, especially like gaming at home, you've probably got a headset and controllers that are connected back via cables to your desktop. There's truly nothing funnier than watching one of my own kids wearing a headset and seeing their head jerk to the side because they've walked so far that the cable's pulling them back to their main console. And here in a VR environment, you could have, in essence, you know, 300 feet by 300 feet. In essence, the distance of a football field, you know, times three width-wise. So you could have a very large experiential surface to really explore. You know, how do you understand the magnitude of the Eiffel Tower? Well, go wear a complete headset and go walk around the Eiffel Tower in a 360-degree VR experience. And that's going to be as close as we can get today to having that sort of real-life experience. So what do you think are some of the barriers to getting educators to adopt some of this kind of tech in the classroom? You know, right now, uh, the biggest concern we often hear is about budget. And in right. fact, a lot of school systems will say, oh, we can't afford the lab of, let's say, a desktop-based solution. But those environments can cost about sixty dollars to $80,000 U.S. And that will include the technology, the content, the curriculum, even setup and professional development. And if you think about it only from a tech budget, you might be right. But school systems are thinking more along the lines of this also has to reflect our curriculum budget, our professional development budget. And if students are mastering the subjects better, are we increasing the passage rate? Are we not going to have to invest as much money for children to attend summer school because they really get it and they're advancing? And now they're going to be taking more potentially advanced placement courses because they've mastered the subject and they're willing and more excited about taking that chance. So for a lot of schools that say the budget is the concern on some of the current technology, I would say it's time to look at the bigger picture. Now, for some of that newer technology, like the wearable VR experiences, they're not yet a completely, you know, neatly wrapped with a bow model where you get all the curriculum and content with it. So right now we see a lot of universities actually building their own experiences, building their own games and simulations for it. And I suspect we'll be in a very similar situation with some of the very same content providers delivering that sort of bundled package solution probably in the next 18 to 24 months. Wow. All right. Here, I want to talk about a specific product that I think uh, is interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about the Sprout Pro? Oh, sure. I mean, what we've been talking about so far is VR as something you experience and interact with. 
Right. What's so interesting about the Sprout Pro is it's allowing you to actually get to the art of creating some of that VR content. You know, if you want to interact with a three-dimensional virtual reality bone of the, the human anatomy, well, you've got to get that from someplace. So you're going to either have to go find that 3D resource that exists out there or something that a lot of schools and teachers have in their science classrooms. You might have a skeleton, probably a model skeleton, not a real skeleton. Right. <laughs> but you could take those pieces and actually scan that entire object in 3D and create a visual 3D representation of the bones of different organs and create digital assets that can be incorporated into VR experiences. So, you know, just as we talk, you know, in order to experience 3D, you also need a way to scan in 3D and edit in 3D. And Sprout Pro makes that possible. Wow, that's, that's exciting. So what do you think are some of the positive and negative trends right, that we're seeing right now in the classroom in regards to technology as a whole? Oh, well, you know, there's a lot of different tech right now happening. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I, I talked about some, you know, beyond VR, I think right. a couple other areas that are going to be disruptors in the next few years. One would be um, 3D printing. And I'm not talking about the sort of extruded plastic printing that you see from a little consumer grade desktop 3D printer. What I'm talking about is in essence known as additive manufacturing. Manufacturing itself today is a $12 trillion a year industry. And most of that, you know, is done not just here in the U.S., it's done overseas. And it's right. done through traditional injection molding. And if you think about the injection molding process, it can be time consuming, expensive, slow. You have to design different pieces that eventually you have to assemble just because creating injection molds can be very expensive. 3D additive manufacturing means that there are parts that rather than going through that time-intensive, expensive process, I don't necessarily have to go source seven different pieces that then have to be sourced, delivered to one location, assembled, warehoused, and shipped to the next location to build a larger product. In essence, I can print exactly what I need when I need it in volume. and. In the next few years, our experts believe that's going to represent probably $2 trillion of the $12 trillion a year industry. That is big business and a huge career opportunity and investment opportunity in our country. And I believe that there's going to be a lot of instruction happening around engineering, manufacturing, business, supply chain. All these areas are going to change to reflect this because now... It will become cheaper to do more of this manufacturing inside the country rather than out. I think another area that is going to be really kind of the sleeper hit right now is gaming in terms of esports. And we're starting to see this emerge in higher education. And I think K-12 is right on the toes of this being becoming big. In higher education right now, two years ago, there were probably, I think, seven universities that were part of the an organization very similar to the NCAA for esports. Right. This past year they're at 36. They're currently at 80. I believe they expect to be at a hundred universities by this fall. Wow. And in fact, you know, people in that males in that lower demographic age group, something like, you know, 21 to 35, 
will spend more time watching esports online than they will baseball or hockey. It's really very surprising how much interest it's getting. We're even starting to see universities offering scholarships to esports players at the same or on par with what you know traditional athletic uh, scholarships were being del delivered. So I think you're going to see that become a lot more mainstream in higher education, but we're already getting signs that some K-12 school systems are identifying esports and gaming as a way to connect and engage better with younger students that find this to be something of a personal passion to them. And not just for people who are going to design games going down the road, but people who really can use this as part of their future studies. You know, not everybody who goes into playing football or basketball pursues a sports-related career, but this could be that next opportunity. So if you've got a child sitting at home and she or he sits home and plays games all day, don't fret, parents. They're actually trying to get a scholarship in future years, no different than the other children that might be going and try to work on their basketball game. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to note, right? Because especially, I think video games is one of the things that's probably propelling VR into the commercial space the best, right? Very much. I, I think between gaming and also in some areas like um, design, because right. you have uh, architects, engineers that are, are designing cars, they're, you know, architects designing homes or buildings. And there's only so much you can do in a 2D, even somewhat of a 3D visualization on a screen. It's very different when you put on a headset and suddenly you start actually seeing all the information. You see the room, you see the nuances as far as the walls, the windows and such. That's what makes it incredibly different for them. So here, I'm going to leave you with this last question. What, uh, As a leader in this industry, what... What do you see on the horizon in regards to VR and being a, a learning tool? Well, I, I think we have a long ways to go, even with the current technology that's becoming available and the wearable you know, ZVR backpacks and similar sort of wearable technology is relatively new. And, you know, that's we've been introducing that just since earlier this year. So you're going to see a lot more content being created by the professional publishers and content providers. I think we'll see a lot more information coming and resources from universities and subject matter experts. If you were to ask me what's coming down the road after that, I would probably suspect it's going to be haptic holography. Right. Um, you know, holograms that not just you see, but you're able through ultrasonic waves to touch or feel. You know, years ago, there was a university in Queensland, Australia that tried to make a very well-intentioned effort at creating the first holodeck. And it was nothing more than a room with monitors wrapped from floor to ceiling. Kind of bulky, not that exciting, but I love the spirit of what they're doing. And, you know, if we, if we joke and say that, uh, you know, VR can become that sort of holodeck experience, really the only other thing we're missing from, you know, Star Trek is, you know, the idea of the replicator. Right. And I think that's probably what's going to come next on the 3D side. You know, right now, everybody's used to printing, you know, some little object or something. But as we start working with different additives and different substrates, different materials, and we can use them at the same time, imagine what it would be like if in one layer, you're printing conductive material that could carry an electric, you know, transmission through it. 
And then the next layer, you're printing um, an, you know, plastic type insulation. Then you're printing a shell. You're not printing parts. What you're now printing is the entire lamp. Right. So I, I think, you know, for many of us that grew up, you know, wishing we had replicators, wishing we had holodecks, that sort of reality is coming a lot sooner than we hoped. Uh, so maybe we'll actually see it in this lifetime because I know, Elmer, I have not seen my flying car yet. <laughs> well, yeah, even when we just think about VR, like, I mean, I never imagined we'd be where we are now. So if that's a if that's a testament to how fast we are progressing in comparison to what we probably all expected, I think we're we're on the right track. I think so too. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hope to come back soon. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com/industries and subscribe to articles podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.